0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 150, Technology Versus Space. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. Space is a very harsh environment. Intense temperatures of 200 degrees Fahrenheit in the sun and negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. You hear about the vacuum of space and space radiation, microgravity, debris, atomic oxygen. So you have to ask yourself what kinds of new technologies can hold up in an environment like this? Not just if they hold up, but how do they hold up, and by how much, and what exactly is happening to those materials and electronics, even solar cells. Just down the street from NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston is a small company called Alpha Space and they manage a commercial R&D facility on the International Space Station called MISSE, M-I-S-S-E. This facility is mounted on the outside of the space station with pallets of hundreds of different technologies at a time. It's exposed to the harsh environment of space in low Earth orbit, where the International Space Station flies. Materials, circuit cards, CPUs, solar cells, and more fly up to the station on a cargo craft, They're brought inside by astronauts, who then send these technologies outside through an airlock. They're exposed to space for a while, then brought back inside and put in a cargo vehicle for delivery back to Earth for analysis. We've learned a lot about how technologies hold up in space, and this can inform designs for future space missions, but can also improve products you buy on Earth, like paints, coatings, and household electronics. So here to tell us about this organization and commercial facility, is Wesley Gordon. He goes by Wes. He's the program manager for the Missy facility at Alpha Space. Wes talks about the history of Missy, the technologies that are flying right now, and the process of getting these technologies on the International Space Station. So here we go: technology versus space with Wes Gordon. Enjoy. T
1: minus five seconds. County. Mark, Mark. We'll line, sir, for the there she goes,
2: We
0: have a podcast. Wes, thanks for coming on. Houston, we have a podcast today. Thank you, sir. So you are the Missy project manager, the program manager, program for program manager. Yes, sir. Let's uh, let's start with a little bit of background. What is Missy? What is this thing we're going to be talking about today?
2: So Missy is a commercial science. And product development R&D type platform to expose science to space. So in doing so, what we have is a facility that sits on orbit where every six months we interact and swap out payloads to put science and experiments, anything people want to research and do development work on, and expose it to the various factors of space environment for them.
0: We're talking outside the space station. Yes, sir. Okay. Directly
2: outside the space station. So there's a lot of research and a lot of capabilities inside the space station. We provide capability for direct external exposure on the space station.
0: Okay. So what is what is unique, what is interesting about that exposure? What are the things, you, like, are we talking radiation? Are we talking vacuum? Are we talking extreme temperature swings? Right.
2: So what you're going to get on that activity is you get the extreme temperature, okay. you get the extreme vacuum, you get the atomic oxygen. What's that? It's a single molecule op- oxygen that you don't get on Earth's presence. Oh, we have O2. Yes. Oh, okay. And you get a single molecule version of it, atomic oxygen, on orbit. Oh. The other thing, like you were mentioning, is you get the UV exposure unblocked and uninterrupted. We get the radiation exposure and expected radiation exposure that you wouldn't get, so you can see how that works but more importantly are those just extreme temperature combination of those temperatures and vacuum and all those factors in a single point for people to understand truly how their materials are going to react Yeah. you know on the ground we can simulate pieces we can make something hot we can make something cold right but we can't bring everything together into one combined atmosphere to replicate space and that's the value of the Missy facility and what it brings to any product in any industry that's out there. If
0: you look at a picture of the Missy facility you can see it kind of looks like pallets and there's little circles of different colors you know for, mm-hmm. for my untrained eye they just like like pretty colors on mm-hmm. the side but I th- I'm thinking what's happening is these are different materials these are different technologies that you're putting in these little circles and then that is just a, a little sample of the thing that you want to test.
2: Absolutely so what happens is, is We have about two hundred square inches of exposure space on a facility on each of the MSCs and there's twelve exposure surfaces that we can put you on. Rams, Zenith Wake, and Nader. So what happens is is when you when we put you up there, you provide a lot of folks provide a one inch by one inch square sample or a one inch circular sample of what they would like to evaluate and test. And that gives them sufficient material to see how the material is going to react. And using our facility for those material purposes and the fo- the uh, photo capabilities that we have, we can give you visual results, which we provide you once a month by taking pictures, because the facility is capable of taking pictures as you go through the flight. We give you health and science data, so we have the UV data, how much contamination we've had, what the solar exposure is, temperatures that you're exposed to. So that way they can take that information and then when their science is returned, they can do further evaluation and testing combined with the data we gave to see if their material or their experiment reached the the science point that they wanted to. Hmm. There's the other side of our facility which people are starting to get into and starting to fully understand is the fact that we're capable of providing data and power capability as well. Hmm. So we can do active experiments and do other testing for folks. One of the things that we get into that we've been uh, doing is like an antenna system. If you wanted to evaluate a new antenna system out of a new material, or you wanted to check its ability to transmit something via the ground, how does it respond in, in those kinds of conditions, you're able to do that with our facility.
0: So we're talking like, instead of just putting it out there and seeing what happens, are you sending commands to yes. the antenna? Yeah, oh, we have okay. telemetry
2: and command capability, Interesting. right? Interesting. Um, the other thing is, is if you've got a particular circuit, because the whole goal of a lot of the active experiments is, can I get to TRL-8? Is it qualified for space, right? What is the way to do that? And MISI provides a really good, low-cost, effective way to do it on a very fast cadence. And so if you have a circuit card or a module or a a new component, a new CPU, a new resistor, something you want to test, it's really easy to integrate that into our deck so you get the exposure to space, Mm -hmm. the harshness of space, and what does your science do? So we provide you power. We can provide you power and data. And you can interact with your science to get data and validate your experiment
0: when you were going over some of the details of how of how this works one thing that kind of caught my ear was you talked about you can put the pallet on different positions uh, facing different ways Mm -hmm. as the international space station is flying whether Mm -hmm. it's forward whether it's towards space whether it's more towards the earth Mm -hmm. what are the differences there what sorts of things are are valuable to point at a different way
2: it's the existence of for example the uv exposure whether they um. want direct exposure on zenith, where we put, for example, solar cells. We do a lot of solar cell testing. We have a solar cell test bed that we've developed. And to test those solar cells, that sits on zenith. It gets good zero beta exposure, good solar activity, no shading from ISS, so they get that exposure. If you're just looking at your atomic oxygen, we can face you accordingly for that. Mm. If you just want space exposure... Which some people are just like, let me see how, I, how my exposure works in space, right? Mm-hmm. We can expose you or even underneath our decks oh. for, for that exposure as well. Wow, that's a
0: lot of – I'm already thinking about a lot of planning going on here because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing this facility, right? And I'm thinking about every little dot, and all those dots is a different material, possibly a different client with different needs, and you have to figure it out. It's like kind of a Tetris puzzle of where you want to put things.
2: Yeah, there's the, the trick in, in that is that's the simplicity we provide for our clients and our mm-hmm. customers, right, is they provide us exactly what they're looking to achieve, and then we resolve the rest of the problems for them. Oh, very nice. Right? So we figure out how they're placed, how they're sorted, how they're organized. You know, if they tell us what they're looking to achieve or the science they're looking to collect, we can tell them which face they need to be on and what would provide them the best results. Uh, Some of the PIs do know, right? Our principal investigators and our clients do know what they're looking at. But if they don't, we provide that service. We design the holders. We design the decks that these units go on and we do all the certification testing all the environmental testing all of the activities that need to happen so once you've identified your material and you give us the information on the material or an active payload and science and we work through those technical aspects then we get it up there we do the work and we bring you the results back and you can evaluate your science okay we've really alpha space has put significant effort into simplifying that process right when you look outside of And you look at the science and the R&D and the technical community. There's a very limited pool of people who know how to certify and fly hardware into space.
1: Mm.
2: And cheaply and effectively, right? And that's what we specialize in. When you're looking at a low-cost way in the sub-10,000 range to fly one of your samples, we can do that. And you don't need to know what are the environmental exposures, what are the vibration requirements what are any of the thermal activities you know you don't have to know any of that we do work with you and explain to you up front that your material is going to be subjected to this so we help them if we need to to design it so it will handle launch vibration Mm -hmm. and because that's part of our testing before we go up so we, we work very very collectively with our clients and our investigators but the key is is making that as easy as possible and as simple as possible for them, because the certification for flight process can be complicated if it's not something you do on a day-to-day basis and you're not configured to do so.
0: You mentioned your business, uh, uh, Alpha Space. This yes, is sir. This is where Missy is is going through. I want to take I want to take a little bit of history and set some context to why why it is the way it is right now. Because Missy, as I was doing a little bit of research, is um, has a lot of history with the International Space Station going back to its very beginnings. Let's talk about the history of Missy and then how that transitioned and into becoming part of Alpha Space.
2: Yes, sir. So for the first eight missions of Missy, starting back in 2001, so yeah, you're talking back in ISS history, yeah. in 2001, the facility was owned and operated by NASA. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was eva serviceable so when they wanted to do work to it it was eva based and that's how the activities occurred with it throughout the cycle of handling that work and going through that work it was identified that easier serviceability an easier exchange method needed to be needed to be uh developed and um that's where alpha space came in so uh miss stephanie founded alpha space in 2015 Uh, Right after MEIT was awarded a contract for building this facility. Mm. And Alpha Space was launched. She launched the first uh, minority female-owned space company, commercial space company actually, to assist in commercializing space in conjunction with NASA to put samples on orbit. And to make this a robotically accessible and easily maintainable facility. And that's the pure essence of where, you know, Alpha Space started from. There, need, there was a need for that robotic and that rapid sample exchange and, and, and access to science, right? Um, access for the public to that science, which is one of the directions in the commercialization that's going. And Ms. Stephanie has done a wonderful job in guiding a company to do and create just that whole purpose, you know, giving access. We have access now for uh, universities commercial companies nasa's always on our payloads and work with us right mm-hmm. and so you have access any industry that wants to get into space or evaluate the products against space automotive industry they evaluate parts using us to see just at what extremes they can expose their parts to right easy access they don't have to understand how it happens they just know that it needs to go up we certify it safely mm-hmm. and bring them their data and that's the key
0: i'm seeing it because if it was a you know from a nasa facility what your what alpha space did was basically commercialize it you're talking about efficiency you're talking about bringing in more and and different clientele um, so that's the whole idea of the commercial space now owned and operated by you. You're the ones going out and finding the commercial, go, finding partners or finding clients and uh, helping them and guiding them through the process, working with NASA. You have the history of doing so. Um, so it's, it's a, it seems like a very intertwined relationship to make that, to make that work.
2: Yeah, and an establishment of a, of a stronger cadence as to what we've been doing, right? You know, um, we launch carriers on orbit every six months. So every six months, we are exchanging R&D, experiments, science, any of those platforms and activities we carry, that's the cadence we're hitting. Every six months, we exchange something on orbit, and it's usually three to four of our carriers and the work that we're doing. And at the same time, we also are putting significant effort into focusing and upgrading and enhancements and you know what can we aid and what data can we gather and what can we do to better service that science and that research you know because the the biggest key is like you pointed out for the history of missy mm-hmm. missy originally was considered just a materials research and science facility right M I S S E I got it
0: yeah materials okay
2: so we've taken that a step further because our carriers it's a is a universal platform and it and it has the power. It has the data. It's easily upgradable. It's, I'll call it fairly moldable to fit the needs. Right? We do have a volume constraint in some instances, but we also have flexibility to adjust that even for what we're doing to where we can use a whole carrier if you need it. You can use a half a carrier if you need it, or we get you down like I mentioned, half a deck, half an inch exposed or underneath the deck if you just want that space exposure then we put you under the deck and so we've added such a huge huge flexibility in that and a huge capability to to a market that didn't see or have that flexibility before
0: i want to better understand this terminology you're saying you're you're talking about a carrier is a Mm -hmm. carrier uh one section of the whole facility or or is it is it a pallet of materials
1: what's yeah
2: so let's let's explain the facility a little bit that give everybody a good understanding so There's a uh, steel structure, the Missy ff the flight facility that's on orbit. That's the whole thing? That's the whole thing. Okay. In the center of the facility are what we call our two avionics boxes. That's a switch box and a power and data box. That's where the commanding and switching comes from PRO to, to control the switchings for our power on, power off, and those activities. The power and data box provides that power to each of those compartments. So on each of the four faces, there's three carriers. A lot of people consider them suitcases if you will right Um, and so what we do is we send up this clamshell type device the missy carrier it's an MSC and it gets installed by robots the robot the Canadian robotic arm it goes out the gym to our transfer tray out and installed by the robot once it's installed and locked in the facility we do some initial testing then we open the experiment so it's about 19 inches long in a closed mode Mm. once we open the carrier you have a 33 inch long 200 square inch exposed science surface and in that 200 inches there's a mount deck and a swing deck the mount deck is the side that stays down and the swing deck is the top of the clamshell that comes out and gets further exposed Mm. so if you could picture folding a piece of paper in half and you're holding it vertically when you open the paper the rest of the way that top piece of paper that's that swing deck portion of it.
0: You basically have to put it out the airlock folded so it yeah, fits we, out that yep. way and then once you get it out and you're about to install it on the facility that's when you can unfold it.
2: Yeah, the okay. um when we go into the gym airlock we're put onto a an Alpha Space Design transfer tray. Okay. The MTT. And we can carry up to 8 carriers out there. Oh wow. Yeah, 8 and of
0: three them. carriers per side.
2: 3 carriers per side. Okay. So we can take 8 of them out there and then install them and extract and they come back on the mtt as well so the full exchange activity happens by the robotic arm taking us out with the mtt then we install and exchange and bring the units back and you know that's one of the key pieces if we want to upgrade the avionics even the avionics the power and data box and the switch box they're removable we can upgrade we can enhance we can repair Mm -hmm. the carriers We swap them on a six-month to one-year cadence, right? They're removable, easily removable, and and, and extracted. Mm. And that's the simplicity behind it for everybody else.
0: So for crew interaction, really the only thing they're doing is they're taking these carriers, these suitcases, and they're just loading it into the transfer tray and sending that out the robotic work does all the installation onto the facility taking the taking the carriers off and on from the facility taking them back in then once they're back in the airlock the crew is taking those suitcases Mm -hmm. and they're putting them away for eventual return to earth
2: absolutely sir minimal crew time it's minimum crew time there's a you know the robotics team and the crew have done a beautiful job coordinating and handling our crew time to our crew time interaction and robotics has a really good understanding of how this works and interacts and we interact with them on a regular basis to make that a very optimized and a very smoothly flowing system and, and operation so a lot of coordination you know like you and i were talking before we started this show that you know there's a lot of unsung heroes and a lot of collaborations that happen in the background and definitely that robotics work is is critical to the work we do mm-hmm. but also the key to the simplicity of what we do yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need the EVA. We don't need that work, right? We we need the robotics to do that, and it's been designed as such.
0: So we, we when we were talking about the history, you
2: you talked about Missy as a materials
0: experiment. It's it's since included a lot of other technologies and. And those samples of, mm-hmm. of whatever you want to put out in this facility. Let's go through some of them. What are some of the, some of the materials that you're testing? Are the materials that you've tested in the past? Mm-hmm. What have we found out? And, and what are these other technologies?
2: So we've done a lot of, like you said in the beginning, the materials work. We've done a lot of materials for different types of coating, hmm. new types of tapes, um, different types of fabrics. You know, what can we do? the the spacesuit for example right what what can you expose that spacesuit to and can we make a better fabric can we test a better fabric right what better way to test that fabric than to expose it to the environment we've done some research uh and assisted with the research of lens coatings and protective coatings right what can survive and still be clear right what what can you still see through and what survives um be honest we've had a few samples that just completely deteriorate and that was because they just that was the science right is is it designed to survive the answer is no and that was the investigation and that was the point of the investigation Mm -hmm. right um you know it's uh it's always exciting when you when you're seeing everything going on and you're seeing these samples and you get the pictures every month and customers are like you know this is this is amazing this is you know these pictures are very helpful. This day is very useful, and that's always exciting. It's always positive because you're like, I'm doing something good, and I'm doing something rewarding for everybody. But that's that material side on the, on the technology side. You know that lone little company that has this new computer board that they want to fly, and even a fighter, or they want to get it into the space program that little shop can't set up doing what we do and afford to do that. Right. So we're able to go through and take their module or their new component, put it up there, apply power to it, pull data down, get them to a TRL eight and prove that your unit is fine. It survives space. It survives the environment. It can handle the temperature swings. It handles the radiation. It handles all the things that space would do to that component in a raw exposed form. Mm -hmm. Right. Um,
0: you talked about um, you want to get your clients to a TRL-8. Is
2: mm-hmm. that what it is? What's that? That's a technical readiness level. So as you're going through your technical readiness levels, you go from a 1 to an 8. and 8 means I'm qualified for space. I'm ready to go. And oh. there's very interims in there, right? And the best way to do that is pure exposure, rapidly. So you could take yourself through the different TRLs by going, I'm going to go into a thermal vac chamber, and I'm going to expose myself to the temperature swings in thermal. And I'm to, then I'm going to do it in a vacuum chamber. And then I'm going to try to expose it to this. But cumulatively, what are those results? Right, A lot of research time and a lot of lab time and a lot of testing time can happen, where in our methodology, you know, we evaluate the materials and working with various groups on site. And like I said, there's a, there's a huge army of people behind this science, Okay, from materials groups to the safety groups to the engineering director that we work with on a regular basis. But once we evaluate that these samples, experiments are safe for flight, safe for use, properly contained, you give it to us, and within six months, you've answered all the questions. Oh. You have all the answers. What does temperature do? What does vacuum do? What does radiation do? What does UV do? What is any of it? What is the contamination? Do you survive the contaminations or excess of contamination? You get all those answers in a six-month period. That's it. And so- it's, if it's it isn't ready to fly, we have
0: tested it on Missy, and Missy's providing, what's that? What's happening here? Well, this is what's happening because we've gotten that data. Well, we, this is what's happening because we've gotten that data.
2: Yeah, and, you know, when you're looking at the space program and what you want to do, you know, as NASA or other agencies, you want that high TRL, right? You want reassurance that if I pay you for this activity or this product, that it, it survives and it works in that environment. And those small companies get that opportunity and it's there right hmm. and that's that's one of the wonders for that
0: so some of the other technologies you're testing you mentioned you mentioned solar cells yes so me as a as a regular person i don't know too much about solar cells i just think ah oh, there's a solar panel and there it is what Are you trying to figure out, uh, uh, when it comes to solar cells, maybe the power generation, maybe how it holds up in the vacuum of space? What is it about a solar cell you want to test?
2: It's really about getting direct access to the solar activity without any environmental impact Hmm. or anything around you. And testing, they test different geometries, different circuitry, different uh, lens materials, different reflectivities. So they have a whole gambit of activities that these folks are testing. Um, and we test them from anywhere from government agencies to commercial agencies to schools that are evaluating these in conjunction with other activities. So it's really good because there's a, there's a huge research base about, out there right now of how can you make a more efficient, more robust solar cell. Right? And it's about mm-hmm. not only the collecting of it, the reflectivity of it. How much of it can you reflect? At what angles can you reflect at? So there's a lot of science that goes into that. That they get direct, direct UV activity and solar exposure right at zero beta, optimum readings, and we provide that. Um,
0: that's like in, that's almost industry level kind of data. Yes, improving the whole technology. Yeah,
2: and we're yeah. constantly evolving that. You know, we flew the uh, the the original prototype version of that on Missy Twelve. We enhanced it for Missy 13. We're making another enhancement for 14. As we get better science, we get better as well, right? And so, once we understand the industry, and we're learning more ourselves, because it's a constant learning activity, right? Once they do science, they're like, you know, we need to see this or this, and then we adapt to learning what they're looking at. And so, industry, in a way, teaches us as we teach industry and provide data, mm-hmm. and that's the nice learning learning portion that I look forward to every day with my job, right? Every day is learning, right? <laughs> yeah, It's one thing to build the circuit, it's one thing to build the control system and to collect the data, but learning exactly what they're looking for, what are your expectations, what are you looking to see? That's where you need the army and the team because you can't understand every technology, but you can definitely reach into the NASA resources and in this community and get better expectations and understandings Hmm. of the what are good expected results
0: nice Mm -hmm. you mentioned you mentioned circuit boards and and electronics as being some of the things you're testing out there what what would be interesting about doing that in space
2: it's really the survivability and exposure of a new circuit new materials Hmm. new components if somebody has a new type of uh integrated circuit microprocessor that they want to test will it survive did they make it out of good materials that would survive combined with the circuitry they've built right that's a really good exposure we have a couple of clients who who believe they've created new versions with new materials of existing types of components capacitors relays Hmm. for switching purposes that they believe are out of the right materials and everything so they fly them up passively study their materials the material results Then we'll fly them again the next time if that's the right materials and everything in an active mode so they get then the switching or the current draws or the voltage drops that they're looking for, right? And at the cadence that we're flying at, they have that design and development window to where they can buy low-cost passive space, understand the passive and the, the physical characteristics of their device, then very quickly and easily transition to an active state easily on the next flight so theoretically you're
0: talking about a year of data yeah okay
2: one year development all the way through the process and that's you know that's huge reduction in data and science time because if you think about how long it would take for them to just evaluate the materials by going to the different labs and finding labs that could get them close but not exact results then developing the active circuit you can't test that in those environments right Mm -hmm. how else do you do that and that's what we provide.
0: So I've heard a lot of uh, examples, and, and we, we can even reiterate some of them, of how testing these materials in space really helps to develop these technologies on Earth. Mm-hmm. I think there's there there are already applications, but even stuff, one that I read was, was paint. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't mm-hmm. know how paint would, sending s- uh, paint in the vacuum of space would help you with a bucket of paint painting
2: your home on Earth. <laughs> you know, there's a... Um you have that UV exposure, you have those temperature adherences, you have harsh industrial environments that people are evaluating, and there's no harsher environment than direct <laughs> space, right? Um, but also, you know, you got to think about it in space flight and space, space travel. Everything's painted. Mm. Everything is painted, right? I mean, we use a lot of stainless. We use a lot of steels. We use a lot of aluminums, magnesium tungstens. We use a lot of surfaces that don't need to be painted, but they're anodized or alodined. We do that a lot on space componentry and have for many, many, many years. But there are lots of companies also developing better coating, better painting processes, too, even for that survivability for painting of products, and you need that data and you need that science.
1: Hmm.
0: So it goes both ways, too. You yes. talk about Earth benefits. It's, it's good in your bucket just for higher quality paint, yep. um, but it's also good on a spacecraft.
2: Absolutely, right? Okay. That's that evolution, and you get the answers
0: like that. Very cool. Real time. All right, say you're say you're a client, and you you're thinking uh, this would uh, I really want to I want I really want to do this. I want to mm-hmm. send up this this little material, and I want to go up to space. What what are what do you expect the client to do? What do you expect them to do for you? Yeah, to help actually,
2: them? we've put a significant effort because this is what we do into trying to simplify this process and make it really easy for our clients. So when a client reaches out to us, when they've reached out to us, and that's using Mark currently, Mark Shambora who handles that on our business development side, when they reach out to him or a principal investigator at NASA, whoever this is, right? There's two ways. We get them from commercial activity or the principal investigators through the NASA side, and DOD and AFRL, so lots of agencies with that. Hmm. We send them a questionnaire, and this questionnaire goes through and asks all the questions that we would need to answer all the questions for them to aid with the design, certification, safety approval, readying them for flight. We take that information and we create a design document that allows us to design that and do all that work internally. Hmm. And then we create, then from there, once they agree that, yes, this I agree, this is how it, I like how you've packaged it, I like how you're handling it, you know, all that information, then we start our entire process. And, um, you know, that that's the complicated portion behind the scenes, but to simplify that, it's really we do a design of your holder. That holder is then placed on a deck, and that deck is what gets mounted into the MSC, the suitcase that we've been discussing. Okay. And so that sample the sample goes in a sample holder. Once the sample holder is designed, they're fit onto a deck. So we design the deck to fit all the samples that we're trying to do. So we do a lot of space planning, capacity planning, looking at how these things place, right? Yeah, because you're a game you, of Tetris. Exactly, it is. It is a game of Tetris because we're trying to maximize the number of samples that we can fly for that flight for everyone. So we fit those pieces on. Then that deck is actually, we, we have a thermal vac chamber at our facility, so we're able to put them through the thermal vac capability. We expose them to that. And also the key to that is getting rid of the contaminations. Mm. Because as, as people handle things every day and things go around, people don't realize it, but everything gets contaminated in some form or fashion. Which can lead to bad data. Yes. So we bake that off, and then we take that deck and we install it in a unit, and then that unit goes through a series of environmental testing. Um, I guess it's important to mention everybody, folks, too, that we do that in a 10K clean room that's actually at our facility. Mm. So we have a clean room at our facility, so we're always handling their materials with care and then integrating them with care within that 10k clean room so we then expose them to environmental testing if it's just a passive sample it needs a thermal cycling and it needs a vibration test because we've got to ensure that their material won't break and won't become a sharp edge or some other risk or safety factor on orbit right so that's that's the first step with that if it's an active experiment we go through what's called emi testing And what EMI testing is, is this ensures that we don't induce any electronic noise to communication systems around the unit. For example, if we were transmitting for some reason at the same frequency as the astronaut's headset, Um, that would be very unfavorable to everybody. Yeah. Right? So we have a series of tests that we go through to ensure that Everyone understands what noise I'm creating in space, if any, what those levels are, and if there's any impacts to systems around the wireless system, headsets, any of that, right? Because crew safety, critical. And when you're doing an EVA, criticality right so
0: is a lot of that written by nasa and sent to alpha space saying hey whatever whatever you do make sure your your samples aren't giving away this frequency because that's going to mess with our stuff we
2: actually test it here at jsc oh okay no so what we do is once we've integrated the units we bring them to the facility here and there's an emi lab and we bring it actually to jsc and jsc in conjunction with us we run the emi test they run that in a chamber over here Right on site. And so we go through, we bring our unit in, they connect the sensors and the filters, we power up our unit, and we know what the baseline noise levels are, and they see if we add any additional noise. Because, like I said, we're flying antennas, circuit cards, so we have to ensure that we haven't added any additional noise that we're not aware of. Hmm. And um, that report, then NASA generates that report, and we'll either pass or fail. So if we see failures during that, we have to make adjustments to our circuitry and our system, either our system or working with the client to try to reduce that noise so we're in the proper area and test through.
0: Seems like there's a decent amount of work on the alpha space side where you already kind of have a good idea of what you of what it takes to fly in space and you're helping those clients but then you have to pass almost like go through the gauntlet of, of NASA tests like mm-hmm. almost uh, the flight certification making sure that this thing is is safe and ready to fly
2: yes sir okay and that's that's like I said that was one of the key things I was mentioning early on is the value right the key thing to alpha space is making it easy for the customer mm. once they deliver the sample, nothing occurs we don't have to do anything for them other than form them you've been ing- you've been integrated you've passed environmental testing you've been sent for stowage you're installed here's your data right <laughs> so i mean it, you know those are really simple easy steps for a client with all those little things we talked about happening in the background and it is it's a constant con- you know coordination so it's, it's a really uh it's a efficient process and repeatable process, right? That's the key of understanding that portion.
0: Now, that process that's happening here locally at, in Houston, right? You're right mm-hmm. down the street from us at, yes. at the Johnson Space Center, But eventually, you got to fly. So how does the stuff get from here in Houston over to wherever it's going to launch from?
2: So we deliver everything to the uh, cargo management contract, okay? which is local to us here. Mm-hmm. And so we deliver the product to them, and they package it up and get it transported with the other items that are going from JSC over. Mm. Um, And they get to the launch vehicle, get installed in the launch vehicle, and then launch. And the same occurs. There is coordination here for even on the return. We know when the returning vehicle is going to be coming back. When the returning vehicle comes back, within about two weeks, we get our carriers back. Oh, that's quick. Yeah. Well, because... Of the science we have we can't keep exposing them we don't want the additional exposure we're trying to get that science back to our customers
1: hmm.
2: and it not being on the ground any longer than necessary so from when the vehicle detaches and de- returns home to when the client has the samples is right around less than 30 days hmm. wow because we have a tight window there of the return within seven to ten days of splashdown and then we have a a 10-day turn on the science to get it shipped back to the customer and we've worked with customers on that we have a you know that's I think that's the flexibility that you'd find with Alpha Space is that we do have some customers who actually come to our facility and directly integrate and directly deintegrate because they hand carry their samples they take the samples directly from their lab they bring them directly to us we integrate them that day or a couple days depending on what samples there are and we schedule and coordinate with them to be available in return to deintegrate their samples and take those samples back with them and hand carry return. So Yeah. We have that coordination as well, right? Just it's tailored around the science as to what they're you know, what they're needing in terms of their handling and care and what needs to be done with their science.
0: Yeah. I'm sure there is a significant amount of handling and care when it comes to investigating a sample that has now been returned from space and you're the one saying here you go but i'm sure there's a lot that goes but before that but before you finally say here you go
2: yeah that's why we we, like i was mentioning before we we had the questionnaire because one of the key Mm. things we ask in the questionnaire is are there any special handling instructions and special handling instructions in terms of delivery installation deintegration you know it may it may come to me in the mail and may get returned in a hand carry right so um, some sample may be complex and in such case where you need our integration capability and their engineering knowledge to do the install right so Hmm. that flexibility and that that's interaction is what's critical to making that science a success
0: well, tell me about uh, right at this very moment. In fact, uh, earlier today, I was listening to the, some of the flight loops, and they were—they had Missy on their on their to do list, mm-hmm. actually working with Trey's and doing that. So, tell me what's what's going on right now um, for Missy.
2: Yeah, Missy is actually in, a, in a, an amazing place right now. Actually, it really is. This is an amazing time to be a, a member of the Alpha Space team because we're actually in the process. In March, we'll be removing seven carriers and installing. Um, five others that'll be an exchange that happens so they'll be taking care of that so when they return we'll be going through the exact process as you talked about Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time we're preparing for the next launch and the next delivery we have a delivery due in uh, the first week of August for NG14 which is launching in October and so we're in the process right now of what I talked to you about we already have the the client questionnaires we've already done the IDD's with them We've done the sample deck layout. We're getting ready to start cutting the metals and doing everything to get ready for their samples. Um, first part of May, we start receiving samples to integrate and start that testing cycle. So we've got units returning in end of April. In the same time, we're prepping for the next flight to go out in May. So that's, you know, deintegration, rolling right into integration of the next flight. You know, it's, it's a consistent <laughs> rotation and process for everybody. Yeah, it's busy. That's a that six-month cadence. And it's rolling.
0: And you talked about uh, a Northrop Grumman going up on a Northrop Grumman mission. So yes. so we, we did talk about returning samples, but are there some samples that don't necessarily need to be returned to a customer? They have all the data that they need, and so it gets put in trash. Or do they all come no, back?
2: they all come back. Oh, interesting. So we go up on an NG. We can go up on SpaceX or NG currently. Okay. there are other. We've been assessed for other vehicles, but we currently go up on an NG or SpaceX, and we return on SpaceX flights. Got it. And— uh, depending on what we're doing, our cadence is go up on an NG, return on a SpaceX, or because of the ease of installation, we can go up on a SpaceX, they remove us, install us, extract the other units, and install them back in SpaceX during that flight mission while they're docked. Oh, wow. So they can do the full exchange, and that was the full transfer to MTT, bring back in, get off of MTT, rebox, and put in SpaceX. So it, it's done. The last... Two flights that I've been part of. I've been with Alpha Space a year now, but the last two flights I've been part of have gone up and been returned on a SpaceX flight in that docked window.
1: Huh.
2: That's how how fast that turnaround is, and the coord. But that's huge coordination with robotics, huge coordination with the crew, right? Because mm-hmm. SpaceX is going up, they've got to empty SpaceX, they've got to get me transferred, they've got to do an install, bring everything back, and
0: yeah. It's kind of it reminds me kind of like a logistics company. If yeah. like, the packages are coming and you're like go 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 go, and then you have to do the whole these switches and then shove them back in and deliver them back.
2: Absolutely, yeah, it's you like know, a time. and uh, that's why there was you know making a system that involved minimum crew time. Yeah, it was critical, right? You know, you take it off the MTT and you box it up and send it back home.
0: Because anything can happen, right? Like uh, I'm sure, you know, the crew's busy. You can be shoving a bunch of spacewalks in there or other science experiments. Sometimes they're going to have their hands in like a glove box, and you're like, hey, we got to get these trays out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's the huge coordination. You know, we, yeah. To give you an example of the coordination, you know, we're working. We've been working with the robotics team already for the 13 transition, and we're preparing already uh, starting next week for 14, which doesn't happen until October. Mm-hmm. But so they have that timeline and that understanding and that evaluation. Wow. it's uh, making sure that coordination is is set so they know. The nice feature of our system, though, is they know how long it takes to install. They know how long it takes to remove them. And so they have that timeline, and they've worked that timeline now to where they have repeatability.
0: Yeah, having that precedence of having done it before makes it a little bit more predictable for the crew and easier to schedule. Yes, sir. Um, So we talked about the genesis of Missy being a materials experiment, and we've gone through a lot of different examples of different technologies and things that you can put on this facility to expose. What's coming up? What's the future for, for some of the things we can test outside?
2: You know, there's a couple of them. Um, the, one of the bigger ones we're working on is understanding how to work with biology outside.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, we've done materials. We can do componentry. We can do any number of physical devices powered or powered. what we've been approached with and the things we're looking at is how to handle biology outside of the station it's it's a complicated process but missy provides a great platform it's very flexible and so you know i think that's going to be one of those next evolutions huge need for it in science mm-hmm. huge exposure for it but i think even beyond that and sooner than that is one of the more I think exciting things we've been working on, too, is uh, we're in the process of partnering with a company who's able to take our data that we generate in the LEO area and analytically predict what it's going to do at other orbits. What will this, given that we know this is how it reacts on Earth, given that we know how it reacts in LEO, going to the moon, they can analytically predict how it would respond going to that base using us as a calibration point. Oh, interesting. And we're working on that, and that's, that's coming really soon for everybody, and I think that's exciting, right, because we're providing you a platform now to understand and start evaluating the next step, right? You know, we've talked about the TRL previously. Yeah. Okay, well, how do you TRL or prove yourself to be landing on the moon, mm-hmm. right? We're giving you a platform in analytics to try to get to that point, point. Hmm. And, and I think that's huge. Um, Another evolution is we're actually in the process right now and significant team effort and investment with AlphaSpace and we're upgrading our avionics and our control systems to add more features for the clients. You know, the streaming will come, the better photos will come, better data management, more real-time data management, faster data transmission, you know, enhancing reliability. And, you know, we've learned a lot, right? We have learned a lot. I mean, you know, we did. Alpha Space as a company did missing 9, and we're prepping for 14 right now. All right. Right? In that time frame, we've learned a lot. And technology, technologies we've even tested have advanced a lot, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so uh, leveraging all that, creating a more robust system for for everyone is is what we're preparing in the background for everybody. You know, it's that unseen by the client but better for the client
0: yeah because I'm, I'm, I'm the one that really stuck out to me was streaming if you're able to have real-time data and track your experiment in space over time just imagine I mean cuz um, you know if for a material I'm sure you're providing a lot more data but what I'm visualizing in my head is you, you send up a material and you know how it was when it launched, and then you know how it looked when it came back. I'm sure right. there's data in between, but they have that live, continuous
2: yeah. data. You know, monthly, they just get a f- picture. Oh, wow. It's great, right? Every month, we give them a picture. So the facility, which I, I guess is a piece that we didn't cover currently, when the, when the facility opens, when you open up one of the MSCs, we have a camera trolley that goes down the whole deck, and every month we take photos. So they get a monthly photo, right? But a lot of our experiments don't expect a lot of changes in a 30-day window hmm. right but if you need the streaming because you're expecting the possibility of something rapid happening or occurring bio missing, right the bio experiments things are going to happen you want to see that happening you want to see that interaction right we see that need coming and we see that we're looking at those things and i think that's you know that's your uh the pinnacle of the next piece is the constant evolution to enhance the science, yeah. and enhance the experiments,
0: I could see that with the biology, that being so so much more of a need to have that sort of monitoring, because mm-hmm. um, life is just when we're talking biology. Are we, I mean, are you thinking like microbiology? Are you thinking like plant life? Are you thinking
2: like, we're still evaluating a lot of that? Working with it. folks on that, but we definitely see that evolution, and and we're we're evaluating it very strongly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: you talked about analytics to understand the difference between low Earth orbit and seeing how that might apply to other environments like the Moon. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about maybe sending stuff right to the Moon? And, and using that analytic software to compare what you thought was going to happen versus what actually happened.
2: Actually, we've taken it a little step further. We actually have won a contract uh, that we call RAC internally, and we are actually sending a Missy type activity to the Moon. We're part of one of the new lunar payloads. Wow. So Alpha Space was selected to perform that work as part of the new lunar payload work that's going on. So we're working directly with everybody on the new lunar work to actually use our capabilities and what we've been doing for exactly that the lunar work, right? Yeah. And so that's an amazing piece, right? When you look at where Alpha Space is sitting, we have LEO, we are enabling analytics and a whole nother level of analytics for everybody and we've been selected and we are going to the moon
0: wow what's for 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 alpha space for maybe some of your clients what is interesting about the moon what do you want to test on there are we talking circuits are we talking materials
2: it's open it's an open platform just like right that's the point giving everyone access yeah and uh we we You know, the market has to be evaluated, and we have to look at where the pieces are. But, you know, we've been selected for a specific target and payload using our technology. And I think that's a key, huge first step, improving that technology in those steps. And, you know, as NASA evolves and does more with that, it's nice to know that we're part of that evolution and working with them to create that step and move ourselves forward in doing that. And, you know, it's quite an honor also at the same time for Alpha Space to – to be recognized for our capability of performing that work, from what we've been doing with our facilities and our research, for them to have the confidence in our in our product to be used as that device for the new lunar work.
0: You say you've been at Alpha Space for a year. Were you in the space industry beforehand, or is this like a whole new world to you? No, it's not a whole new world. <laughs> I
2: actually was. Uh, I've been in the space industry. Well, I was weapons and defense relative to the space industry since hmm. the late '90s moved directly into the actual space program at JSC, um, Hmm. mid-2000s. At the end of shuttle, I did take a step out, and I went out, uh, like several folks did, into the energies and oil and gas business uh, to enhance some of my skill set, and I learned a lot about process optimization and the logistics and other things. Um, But my true love was with the space program. And uh, when I saw the opportunity at Alpha Space, I uh, was given the opportunity to come back and and, and play with this toy. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, when you look at you know, I did, I did shuttle, I did station. I was a subsystem manager for several products on on the space station and space shuttle. And some of my gear even transferred from shuttle to station as swapped asset. Oh, cool. And so when you've done that, those things were fixed purpose. I had the laptops, I had the cameras, I had a radio. You know, they were fixed. But those are just assets and tools, right? That's what I had at that time in my life in the space program. What Alpha Space has afforded me is the opportunity to work with the science and the R&D and the engineering, right? Uh, and that is something that is is priceless because we need to evolve. We need to grow. And, you know, it goes all the way back to, right, Ms. Stephanie opening a woman-owned and the first female-owned facility on orbit, Right setting those first opening up new windows i mean she started that in the beginning by opening female-owned facility boom now we're doing science for everybody on a regular basis every day and filling that hole that didn't really exist right where was the gap prior to us who filled it between the engineering mind and the space certification those scientists and those folks
0: wow Well, Wes, I want to thank you for coming on. Your passion is extremely contagious for for all of this. But uh, what I think was really fascinating about Missy as a facility, and we've gone over a lot of of just the, you know, how it works and everything, but what really excites me is just the amount of stuff you can test. (laughs) Like, that's a lot of data. That's a lot of materials. That's a lot of technologies. That's a lot of things being exposed to space. And that's good data for everyone because ultimately we're talking about the commercialization of space. I think Alpha Space... Is a great example of that. You're a commercial company operating in space, bringing on clients, working with NASA. It's just it's a it's a great example of how this how this all works. And there's just so much data. Um, really exciting to, to be talking to you today, Wes. I really appreciate your time.
2: No, I appreciate your time and you guys taking and giving us the opportunity to even talk about the facility. You know, it's uh, it's exciting. It's there, and and I hope the world sees everything that we're bringing for science in the community. All right. Thanks, Wes. Thank you.
1: Roger, if they're OJ and I fail funnel, the game is game for Actually, a huge honor to break a record like Not to be Cogley or
0: EV, but to be Cogley or all. Welcome to space. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really good conversation we had with Wes Gordon about Missy and Alpha Space. If you liked this podcast, we have a lot of episodes that you can listen to in no particular order. Go to nasa.gov slash podcast to check out some of our other episodes, as well as many other podcasts that are here at NASA. If you want to talk to us at Houston, we have a podcast. Uh, we are at the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention it's for Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded on February 7th, 2020. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, and Mike Schumbera from Alpha Space. Thanks again to Wes Gordon for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.